KSM, what's up? We're back with you again. Curtis here looking at Galatians, our series called Set Free, Live Free. Uh, I know that as we go throughout this letter, this book of the Bible, but originally written as a letter, we're going to see a lot of repetition of themes. And we're especially probably going to see that from last week into this week. And so we're going to take a a different view this week on how we can apply what we're learning from the book of Galatians. And the other thing we need to understand is that this is not a collection of short stories. It's a letter, but we're breaking it down into bite-sized chunks so we can look at the context for what's happening and then actually look at how can we then begin to apply what's happening in this letter that's written to a certain group of people at a certain point in time, uh, how can we begin to apply that to our own lives here in 2021 in the greater Seattle area in Washington? And so it's, it's not how you would probably read a letter that was written to you. And so it's a little bit different, right? This is not how you would read an email. I know you guys don't read email, right? But it's not maybe how you would read a long DM that a friend sent you, a close friend, uh, like Paul is to the Galatians, where you would read the whole thing in its entirety if somebody was pouring their heart out to you. You wouldn't probably read it in episodes, as it were, like you wait for a new episode to come out on a show every week. You wouldn't read it that way. You would read it in one sitting. You know what? Gosh, it is so hard to read my notes, and it's probably because of these glasses. And come to think of it, I think actually how we read God's Word depends often on the lens through which we view it. And sometimes it becomes harder to see things when we look through different lenses. Have you ever noticed that? If you look through a certain set of goggles that don't fit right, things become cloudy and, 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 and unclear. Or if you look through a certain colored lens, it, it begins to color the world around you. It turns things different colors. And so often when we read the Word of God, we read it maybe the way the world sees it. We read through a certain lens. We read the Word of God as though it's simply a list of rules, do's and don'ts. And if anybody ever tells you that there are not lists of do's and don'ts in the Bible, they're lying to you, okay? There are lists of do's and don'ts. But why are they there? Are they simply just empty rules to be followed? I mean, the Judaizers we've been talking about in this series approached faith as a list of rules that they had to get them right in order to earn God's favor, in order to remain in right standing with God. But we talked about last week, they didn't need to remain in right standing by following the rules. They were in right standing and you continue to be in right standing. We do need to follow Jesus, but simply looking at the rules as a checklist to follow will turn up empty. We can approach the Word of God like a list of rules to follow to make God like me. I mean, guys, I don't know about you, but we live in such a culture that is all about getting likes, about getting people's approval. And we can take that very cultural thing and apply it to our relationship with God and even maybe how we approach His Word. Like, we have to win God's love and acceptance by, by behaving or doing certain things. And we win his love and acceptance in the same way we do 
by the way that we live and try to get likes on Instagram, that we approach our life with God like I'll do this or won't do this depending on how likable I think it is or how many views it will get. Or maybe, maybe you're not big into TikTok and Instagram. Maybe this speaks more to you. Maybe you're a performance-based person who you think, I have to get the right grades, I have to do the right things, say the right things, wear the right clothes to win my parents' approval. Or I need to increase my skill set in order to make the team roster. But what if God doesn't see things that way? What if we're seeing through the wrong lens when we approach his word. I want to read this next section of Paul's letter, and I want to remind us this is a letter. So perhaps when you view it, when you read it, it would be helpful for you to understand the whole thing. It honestly only takes about 15, 20 minutes to read the entire letter to the Galatians. So maybe a practice for you would be each week before you ready yourself to hear from the particular passage, you just read the whole letter to gain a a bigger understanding. But as we dive in, let's go. Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 22. It'll be on the screen here. But it says, brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Now, his everyday life example is probably going to look a little different than one you might choose because different times, right? Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. What's he talking about? We got to stop there for a second because context is important. He's talking about a legal document that cannot be altered. It's kind of like a will. After someone's died, what's in their will is final. Somebody can't come along in the family later and go, you know, that's not what they really wanted. We're going to do this. Well, that's just not accurate. We're not doing that because it's not what they asked for. It can't be altered. Verse 16, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. That word's going to become important. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For, it in, uh, for if the inheritance depends upon the law, then it no longer depends upon the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It's a great question, by the way. It was added because of transgressions or sins, things we do that grieve the heart of God, until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The seed, again, he said, was Jesus, right? The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. All right, as we dive in, the big idea here is that we are set free to read the Bible through the lens of grace. Let me say that again. We are set free to read the Bible 
through the lens of grace. There is a way to read through God's word. And the first point that I want us to get here is this, that the plan has always been grace. The plan has always been about something that you and I do not deserve, and it's not about something that we have done. Jesus, Paul says very clearly, is the seed. Before the law even came in, Jesus was the plan. And Jesus says as much, because Jesus says that he's even before Abraham, not just before the law, but before the person the promise was made to. John 8, 58, very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. See, the Judaizers that have crept into this church, that have confused them, that have, according to last week, have bewitched them, the Judaizers saw the seed as plural. And think about that. When you say the word seed, it's like the word fish. Fish could mean a whole bunch of fish, or it could mean a singular fish. It really depends on how you're using the word. And so seed could be both plural in meaning, and given the promises that were given to Abraham, they had some reason to think that it might be plural, because seed for the people of, might, might have stood for the people of Israel. Paul, though, is going to clarify for us that when we're talking about the seed, it's one. The promise is Jesus. He's the seed, not the seed, but the seed. Romans 9, 6 through 8, Paul says this to the church in Rome. It's not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. What is he saying? Look, it's not just those who are descendants of Abraham by blood that are children of God. In fact, he's saying not all who are even descendants of Abraham are children of God. On the contrary, it, was through, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned, quoting Genesis. In other words, here's where Paul's going to clear it up for us. It seems a little weird. It is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise, those who have trusted in Christ, who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. See, 430 years before the law even came into existence, before it was given to Moses at Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus, Abraham was accepted and chosen by God. He was chosen and accepted not just before the law was given, but even before the sign of his covenant was given. The sign of Abraham's covenant was circumcision, and he was counted as righteous by God before the sign itself. He was counted righteous, we talked about last week, because of his belief in the promise. The covenant promise was was actually given, and then there was this this ceremony that took place. You can read about it in Genesis 15, but there's all these sacrifices that are given. And they're then, these animals are cut in half and placed kind of in a line. And in an Old Testament covenant, people would walk through, after they'd made a promise to each other, they would walk between the animals, signifying that if you break your promise, may you end up like these dead animals. 
Here's what happens, though. It's interesting. In Genesis 15, God causes Abraham to fall into a deep sleep, and God alone walks through the sacrifice. Now, what's important about that is that God walks through alone. That it is not dependent upon, this covenant, this new promise is not going to be dependent upon what Abraham does and doesn't do. And it won't be dependent upon what you and I do. It will be dependent upon what God does alone. It will be dependent upon God. And thank God for that because Abraham screws it up a bunch trying to do it his own way. He's thinking, I got to be a part of this. He was never going to be a part of it. God was going to do it. And before you were even a thought, you were loved, liked, and wanted because it isn't about what you will do. It's about what has been done. And we can easily become like the Galatians. We can follow, allow substitutions to creep into our relationship with Jesus. Last week we said that what we need is good news, not good advice. And we need to draw near and follow Jesus. And and I kind of left that hanging a little bit. And this week we need to say, how do we do that? And I think the often simple and easy answer is to read the Bible. Just because it's the go-to answer doesn't mean it is wrong. It's where we learn about the character of God and who Jesus is. And many people, though, read the Bible and they read it through an improper lens, either as a history book or a checklist, and instead of a way to grow in relationship with the one who's already done the good work. There are lots of people who are professors of divinity all across this great country of ours in colleges and universities who know the Bible a lot better than your youth pastor. And they are not following Jesus. They don't look like him. See, what we need is a lens that allows us to see the biblical storyline in a Jesus-centered way. Which brings me to the next point. Point two is that what does the law do? The law points us toward the promise. So this is important because he keeps referencing the law. And the law and the sacrificial system actually are placeholders and forerunners to the promise. They're forerunners to the promised one of Jesus. They always pointed to Jesus, who would be the ultimate sacrifice, who would keep the law perfectly. And this mediator he talks about in this passage What in the world is that? Because a mediator implies that there is more than one party. But Paul says, but God is one. And in his covenant with Abraham, he was the one who walked through the sacrifice. Who is this mediator? The mediator is Moses, the recipient of the law. The one who who wrote down what God said. And it wasn't even dependent upon the mediator, Moses, because legitimately, while Moses is up on the mountain in Sinai Sinai, receiving the law, the Israelites are down the mountain breaking most of what he's writing down. And Moses breaks the law too. Even he is a, a lawbreaker. It's not dependent upon even the mediator. Israel's hope was never in a list of rules, but in a promised Savior, a promised redeemer. So the law was brought in, according to this passage, it's brought in because of the transgressions. The law is brought in to hold up a mirror, as it were, to our sin. 
right? If we think in medical terms, the law is like a diagnostic test. Some of you have gone through this, right? Maybe you are, you have to ask the question, am I sick? Because I, I don't really know, like I, 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 I'm not displaying any symptoms. Does this sound familiar, right? But we got to know because we're around somebody who's sick, so we got to know, right? So we go and we get the nasal swab and we find out, oh, you, you're sick. And that's what the law does for us. It lets us know that we're sick because you don't care about a cure if you don't know you're sick. You don't think about how to take care of something if you don't know that there's something wrong. And Jesus, the seed, the promise is the cure to what ails us. And he's the whole point of the Bible. The whole of scripture points to him. Whether it's the Old Testament looking forward and Abraham's faith was in looking forward. Or whether it's us looking back at who Jesus came and lived as. So we typically read the Bible, if you're like me, moment of transparency and honesty, like a storybook with multiple short stories. And it's very easy to read the Bible that way when we don't have the proper lens. But what if there's a different lens through which to view the overarching story of God's goodness? Which brings me to my last point. Jesus is the climax of the story. But he's not just the climax. Jesus is the lens. Remember, we, we are set free so that we can view the whole of Scripture through the lens of grace. The Bible is one long story, and we hear things like, isn't the Bible just multiple stories? It's just a bunch of collected stories that were all put together in one book. I mean, the answer is both yes and no. Okay, yes, it is a collection of multiple stories by different authors throughout human history who are all pointed toward Yahweh, the one true God. But also, no, it's not just multiple stories. Much like Star Wars and the Chronicles of Narnia, there's, there's multiple episodes or sequels leading to one end that ultimately started in the beginning. I think about Star Wars, for example. There are lots of sub-stories and subplots, but the whole of Star Wars is about what? It's about one family line. It's about the Skywalkers. Spoiler alert, I don't know if you've been sleeping under a rock or something. You know, you know that, but it's about the Skywalker family. The whole story it needs to be viewed with the Skywalker family as the pinnacle, as the lens through which we view the whole story. Similarly, the scripture needs to be viewed with Jesus as the lens, with the very thing that this whole thing is about. Reading the Bible, though, in light of the Abrahamic promise, Jesus, just a reminder, enables us to see the promises of God unfolding throughout the Bible and culminating in Jesus. It begins to co connect our faith to the faith of generations and millenniums that have come before us. We can begin to track the promise of God to Abraham of a coming Redeemer throughout the story. And when we see the goodness of God in the Old Testament and the and the Savior Jesus in the New Testament, we can move from head knowledge to life transformation. When we begin to realize that this is all about Jesus and our goal in life is to follow him because of what he's done, it changes it from a checklist to someone I wish to be like. See, reading the Bible, as the Galatians did as a checklist, offers no hope. It actually leads to spiritual death, as we, we studied last week, that it, Paul calls it a curse 
not because the law is void or doesn't matter, but because it was never meant to bring life. Let's look at verse 21 one more time. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. It just doesn't serve the purpose that they thought it did. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness or right standing with God would have come by the law. The law isn't void or unimportant. It just isn't doing what they thought it was meant to do. It was never meant to bring life. It was meant to point toward the one who could bring it. Remember, it's our diagnostic test to say you're sick and you need a cure. And all of this is granted only through faith in Christ. The, the end of verse, or the beginning of verse 22 in your NIV is probably a little confusing because most of us don't have a 1984 NIV, and there are all kinds of reasons why we retranslate the Bible, and I could get into all of that, but let's just look at verse 22 as it's probably listed in your Bible, as it is listed in mine, but Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin. Sounds like it's Scripture's fault that we have a sin problem. That's it's a weird translation, but let's go back to the 1984, an earlier translation of the NIV says this, but the scripture declares, or the scripture makes clear that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. The scripture is simply defining what's wrong, not making it so. And scripture paints a picture of people in need of grace. And the law was brought in that we might more easily recognize that we need grace. The transgressions, the sins, they already existed, but the law put a magnifying glass, a lens. It magnified the lens of grace to help us more clearly see our deep need for saving. And when we read God's word in light of verse 22, the ending of verse 22 says this, so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. When we read, I'm going to pause real quick because this is falling off. I'll pick up from there. So that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. See, what was promised, grace and forgiveness through Jesus is given to those who believe. And when we approach God's word, we can begin to ask God to reveal to us how this passage is informing our walk with Jesus. How can I walk more in step with Jesus because of what I'm learning here? That's life transformation, not simply knowledge. See, when you approach God's word, you, you can begin to ask different questions now. If you look through the proper lens, how is this pointing to the storyline of God's redeeming love? What is required of me? What is being asked of me as I follow Jesus more closely? Not because I need to do anything to earn God's favor. I'm already on the team. Now I'm flexing different muscles. I'm learning new things to become more like the person that God is making me into. I'm not earning a spot on the roster. I'm on the team. But I'm learning how to follow more closely. It's not in an effort to earn, but in an effort to grow into the image of the one who saved me. Again, our big idea is that we are set free to read the Bible through the lens of grace. Guys, thanks so much for being with us, and we'll see you next week.